fantastic band at this time. And so many things were uncertain. So many things were being shaken. We just ask this morning that you give us Jesus. Let us see you, Jesus, for who you really are. What you have done. What you are doing. We thank you this morning. on you, Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you. Hallelujah. It just feels like such a sacred moment. Fill us up in what we are lacking in the knowledge of Jesus. So much can become part of our faith. So much can become part of our relationship with you. The doing and the knowing and all of these things. But it is the relationship with Jesus that we need, Father God. this morning for the ways that maybe, Lord, we have ignored you, Jesus. We haven't given you the rightful place in our life. We've not listened to your voice or followed your leading. We just ask your forgiveness this morning and desire to make a, a new start out of this day. A new intimacy with you, Jesus. A new hope Father God, we would see Jesus in vision and in your word. I pray for a new revelation of Jesus, Lord. A deeper, more intimate revelation of Jesus, Lord. You are our strength and our hope, Jesus, only by you. Only by you can we come unto the Father. We thank you. Hallelujah. 
Father, you are here to heal and restore. Restore that which is broken. Mighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now for those who are in need of healing, whether in body, mind, or soul, need restoration of things that have been broken. I just want you to stand as we pray. Father, we know that you are here this morning. We have been given the privilege of being able to sense you physically. It's not just by faith in your word that we are knowing you are here, but you are giving us a profound sense of your presence. And Father, I pray for those that are watching that they too would just stand if they need healing or restoration. And I ask right now in the name of Jesus Christ that Father, you would touch bodies and minds and souls Father, you would bring healing to body, mind, and soul. Father God, those suffering mental health issues, that Father, you would give a peace and a strong anchoring foundation. For those that, Father God, their walk is not what it needs to be, their soul needs to be touched by you. Father, I pray that you would give a fresh revelation today. And for those needing a touch in the body, Father God, these conditions that doctors can't change, these conditions that, Father God, just seem more an attack than anything else. We just pray, Father God, for healing in Jesus' name, and we command and speak to these illnesses and tell them to leave in the name of Jesus. Father, uh, problems with, with joints and ligaments and and, and the ability to move and all those things. Father, we pray your healing right now in whatever way you wish to do it. In Jesus' mighty name. Father, we thank you that you are a loving God. Amen. Amen. <coughs> God shows up like this not so much to not so much just to give us a blessing in the sense that we can leave this place saying God is here or is here but that we can know that God is here so many things are happening in the world so many things that are causing people to be so unsure. Life is that way anyway, never mind living in the time that we live. And God shows up this morning to let us know that I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I don't know what you've gone through this week, um, but we've all gone through something. Uh, I pray that you had a wonderful week of communion and joy and bliss with Christ. Um, but if you haven't, it's so beautiful to be able to come to a church and you can sit and do nothing and God can show up and say, I'm with you in a physical, tangible way. This is why we gather. 
this is why we gather. It's not just to hear a, a, a sermon. It's not just to give your tithes. It is so that we can have moments like we are having this morning where you sit and you listen to a few songs and you know God is with you. That is a beautiful blessing of it. And if nothing were to happen after this moment, you would be able to leave this place knowing God showed up and, and spoke to you and let us know that he is here. And for that, man, we have to be thankful. It's a gift. It is a gift. Oh, you don't know where to go with something like this. But we'll go forward, hopefully. Um, as the talk goes, if anything comes to you, we'll have time at the end for you to come to the microphone and share any thoughts, a picture. God can speak, as we've said so many times. He can speak to us in the physical sensation of knowing that he's with us like this morning or through the service you might get a picture of something that just you know it just doesn't go away you just know there's something to this you don't know what's to it but you know something's to it or it might be a scripture verse or it might be a statement um <coughs> i've told this story before i was speaking somewhere years ago everything was always years ago <laughs> but um uh, we're just a little bit more present, but anyway, uh, I was speaking somewhere, and this I saw this this uh, person, and God said, "I want you to go over and tell them that uh, you are God's butterfly." And many of you who know me know this story um, because I've told it. And I said, "Well, <laughs> Lord, I said, as much as I would like to obey you, I won't." I said, I'm not going over and telling her that she's your butterfly. I don't know what that means because I had just been starting to get these kinds of things. And I said, I am not going over and tell somebody that they're God's butterfly. <laughs> so, and I'm going and talking after I speak and I'm talking to people and praying for people. And, and <coughs> the, the room gradually empties and I turn around and who's standing there but this person, the only one left in the room. I said, okay, I got the memo, okay. I said, I don't know. I said, I just got to tell you that you're God's butterfly. And she just breaks down crying, bawling, crying. And after she composes herself, she says, only God knows this, that the one of the most favorite things in my life, the things I love the most are butterflies. So beautiful. And uh, there was another experience. I just want to encourage you in these kinds of things that how God speaks. I was at somebody's house and I was praying for the husband and wife team. And many of you know this story. Please forgive me if I'm repeating myself. I don't want to get to be one of those pastors that uh, you're repeating yourself all over and people are going, oh my heavens, there he goes again. So if I do that, just wave your hand, say, you're doing it again, Keith. It's time to shuffle onward. But I was praying for this husband and wife team, and uh, after I was leaving after visiting them, and she, they didn't come to the church. This was up in New Brunswick, and I had worked with this gentleman some years previous, so I just dropped in to say hello. He's a Christian. You know, his wife, you go to church every once in a while, but wasn't wasn't a big part of her life. So I'm praying for them, and as I was praying, I got a picture of her sitting in this sofa that was in their their sunroom, and uh, the sense, the statement came to me, and I said it to her. I said, Sandra, that's her name. I said, Sandra, the Lord just wants you to know that one of his favorite things is sitting with you, and I pointed to the couch. I said, sitting in that couch looking at catalogs with you. And I'm going, oh, no. And she just starts crying. And I went, what did I say? I went, what did I say? After we're finished, she composes. And she said, only, and she said again, only God knows that one of my favorite things to do is she gets these catalogs, I guess. I don't know what they are, home and garden or whatever they are. And she said, I sit there 
every every once in a while, and I read my catalogs, one of my favorite things to do. She knew that day that God knew her. Remember last week we were talking about being seen? Well, that's one of the ways God lets you know that you're being seen. He and, it, and this is one of the great blessings. We shouldn't just dismiss these things. Uh, when we get these pictures or these thoughts about somebody, you never know what you're doing. You may be giving somebody an opportunity to be seen by God. And Sandra knew that day that she was seen by God. That, that woman that I said, the butterfly, she knew that day that God saw her and knew her. Didn't just She just wasn't some... Uh, face amongst the billions of people on the earth, but God knew that she loved catalogs. God knew that she loved butterflies and was giving an opportunity for, for them to be seen. And uh, it's, it's one of the real gifts of the Holy Spirit to be able to do this. And I think we get it more than we know. We really do. You may get a little sensation to call somebody or a sensation to you just have a thought for somebody to just, you know, call them and say it or go up to them and pray it or whatever it may be. You don't know. And what's the worst if you're wrong? <laughs> You'll both have a good chuckle, you know, <laughs> at least have a good chuckle. But just think about that because God sees you and he sees me. And heaven knows there's enough times where it doesn't feel like that. Life gives us those times where it does not feel like we're being seen. And heaven knows many of us grew up in situations where we were never seen. And uh, I told the story before, maybe repeating myself again, but it's, it's good for what we're talking about. I remember in grade four, my grade four teacher, and I went to her house on Halloween, and she I opened the door, and I'm done up in something. I don't know what I was done up in. And she just looked at me, Mrs. Larson, and, and she just laughed, but she laughed in a way that she was laughing with me. And I was talking to a counselor about a, a, a year or so ago, and I just started to cry when I recounted this to the counselor. She said, what are you crying about? I said, I don't know. I said, it just, and we talked, and she said, Keith, you were seen. Someone looked at you and entered into what you were doing and who you were being at that moment. And you'd have to know my upbringing to know that there wasn't a lot of being seen going on. And it was a violent, drunken home. So you were never seen. And uh, all of a sudden, this person looked and gave me affirmation and made me feel like I was something. And I, I remembered it for the rest of my life. The rest of my life. Um... And it's one of those ways, and that's how it is. God wants us to be seen by him. In whom do we trust? This is a deep piece of scripture, and I uh, will probably um, not go through all of it. might carry it on into next week because the end has the purpose behind why I want to talk about it. But um, it's an interesting piece of scripture. It's a challenging piece of scripture. Um, there's no definitives in it, but I'm going to throw my hat it in, the, in the ring to try to bring an understanding to it. It's 2 Samuel 24, 1-4. Now, Samuel is a book in the Old Testament. There were prophets in the Old Testament, prophets and judges, and Samuel is one of them. And there's 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, is uh, recording basically of his life and his ministry. And it's recounting something here, and it says, Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, Go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, and enroll the fighting men so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over, and may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why does my lord the king want to do such a thing? The king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commanders, so they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. 
Walter and I were talking about this the other day. It's what sparked it in me. And uh, it's funny, when you're talking sometimes through the week, um, uh, you'll hear something and it will just go, mm. it goes down here. And you go, God wants to talk about that. It's, it's the strangest thing. You know, I, I look back, uh, I've been doing sermons since, oh, I don't know, I have, I have them all on my computer for decades. And I went scrolling through them and I went, every week there was something. Talk about the infinite supply of God. But this is what we want to talk about today. So the first thing I want to look at, it says, once again the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And we're going to do this more like a little bit like a Bible study than a, a preaching to just kind of delve into this scripture. Once again, this is referring to the last time Israel's sin was a reason for her troubles. So you go searching, what is it talking about? If, if we go back to chapter 21 in Samuel, we find out about God's last time of having anger with Israel. And it reads like this. It's got some interesting theology in it. 2 Samuel 21 and 1. There was a famine during David's reign that lasted for three years. So David asked the Lord about it. That's a good thing. David asked the Lord about it. We do have the right to ask the Lord about some things. It's interesting that it took three years for him to ask about it. But eventually he did ask about it. And the Lord said, the famine has come because Saul and his family are guilty of murdering the Gibeonites. So they have three years of famine. Probably one of the reasons that he took three years was because in the Middle East and in Israel especially, uh, the rains are sporadic and they often come in great floods. Uh, so to be without rain was not, you know, an uncommon thing. But three years, I kind of think about that. You know what, maybe it's best as soon as the troubles start happening, start asking. Start asking, because you, you might not have to go three years. You know what I mean? So start asking. And how do we ask? We ask by prayer. We ask people that we trust who are mature in the faith, saying this is going on. What, should we, what do you think this is? And, and then you wait, and you just ask God to bring the answers, because he will bring the answers. God is not playing hide-and-seek with us. Sometimes I know we, th we think he is. And we think there's something we're missing. But God will let us know what we need to know. And here's what this scripture is talking about. 400 years earlier, 400 years, Joshua had made a treaty with the Gibeonites. Now, what had happened is they had come into the promised land and they were told to, to kick everyone out of the promised land that was in there. The Jebusites, the Gibeonites, and the Hittites, and all the ites that were in the, in the place. But the Gibeonites were pretty tricky, and what they did is they came to Joshua, and they said they had their clothes all worn and torn, and they had all their food. They got moldy food and everything, and they came to him, and they basically said, we've come from a far, far distance, but we heard about you, and we heard that you were, you're, you were tough and that you needed to be contended with, so we just want to have a treaty with you. And so they, it says it in Joshua 9.14. So the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. And the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath before the Lord. So they had this oath before the Lord, but they didn't, what's crazy is they didn't ask God. It really speaks to the whole idea that even the small things, even the small things, we should ask the Lord. Those little decisions about what we're going to purchase, what we're going to do, where we're going to go on vacation, what we're going to, it might seem like we're neurotic, but we're not. Because sometimes going on a vacation can turn into a pretty bad situation. <laughs> I've been there. And or to make those small little decisions or to just go along your way and not ask God, it can run into some problems. And that's what happened with Joshua. And you think about all that God had done and everything he had said to them, and Joshua just kind of said, no, I can take care of this. 
and he did. And what the oath said, because they found out afterwards, Joshua found out that they were the Gibeonites and they lived right over there. And, but they couldn't do anything because they had made an oath before the Lord that these people would be protected. Well, Saul came along and he killed them. 300 years later, Saul comes along and in his zeal for Israel, he kills most of them, actually. So David had to do something here. David had to resolve Israel's guilt and the famine came from it. So he had to hand over seven of Saul's descendants to be killed by the Gibeonites. It's kind of rough stuff. Sin, Saul's sin is impacting the generations after him. 300 years later, something that Saul did wrong or something that was done 300 years previous and Saul coming and making this mistake then had very serious consequences on Saul's descendants. It's crazy. And it talks, you know, every once in a while we hear about generational sin. And it is something to look at. I know we don't know everything that happened in our grandparents' life, and you can only, but sometimes you can find out. When you see alcoholism all the way through your, your line, or when you see you know, spousal abuse, or if you see poverty, or if you see chronic illness, and all, this, all these things consistent through your generation, well, that gives you an idea about what to pray about. To if we see behaviors, if there was, if, if your past generations were involved in sinful behavior, well, you know what you need to do? We need to go and ask and intercede for forgiveness for those sins. And we say, Father, please forgive these. And anything that has come from them, any residual thing that has come down into our generation, then, Father, we just ask that it would be broken. It's very probable. You c I, I can look at my grandfather's picture on my father's side and I can see me. I can see how I look like him. And we get passed down to us much more than our physical, the way we look and the color of our eyes and how tall we are. There's also much more that is passed down because we're body, soul, mind, and spirit. So that stuff is, I'll say, well, that's crazy. Well, no, because Paul goes at length talking in Romans about the sin of Adam. Boom, 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 boom. And it's been getting worse ever since. And here we are dealing with basically the sin of Adam. And what we do, what do we do? We come to God and we say, Father, we say no to this. In the name of Jesus, this will not have authority over our life. This will not have authority over our family. If there was witchcraft and all that kind of stuff in your background, you, you look at it and say, when we find out based on Scripture that it's wrong, we then take the authority that we have in Christ and we say, we stop this right now in the name of Jesus. And anything attached to it, we command it to leave. And we need to be doing more of that, actually. And it doesn't all happen at once. Sometimes as we go along in our life and we have this consistent thing happening over and over and over again, well, then there's something going on. There's something going on there. If there is a consistent behavior that it's happening all along in our life, then, and it's negative, especially if it's negative, if you're loving and generous, I wouldn't worry about it too much. That's a great thing. <laughs> it's when you're hateful, bitter, and jealous, and, you, and whatever else, fearful and insecure and all of those things. It's time to stop and say, God, is there anything in my past? Is there anything that I need to look at? And God will start showing us those things. And we say, no, based on the fact that our life is in Christ, we can do what the Israelites did in Egypt, put the blood on the door, on the mantle, which says, no, I am protected by the power and the person and the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you do not have dominion over me. I have dominion over you, whatever this thing may be. But we have to come to a point of understanding that because we are in Christ, there is that blood barrier. There is that, and yes, things happen and sometimes it stops and sometimes we have to kick it out back to the text 2 Samuel 24 and 1 
Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. Now, this is where it gets interesting, because the same event is recorded for us in Chronicles, First Chronicles, which is another book in the Old Testament. This one more so a historical document in many ways, but it, it tells us about the same thing. But it says something different. It says Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. We seem to have a contradiction here. We seem to have an issue. There seems to be some confusion about who actually did the deed of inciting David to do this census. So what we know so far is that God's angry with Israel for something in this situation. We don't know. The scripture does not tell us what he's angry about. But he's angry about something, and if God's angry, it's his business, and he doesn't want to tell me, I don't need to know. I'll just take it that God had a pretty good reason for being angry. But he doesn't tell us. It appears that he is allowing the devil to access David to achieve a divine purpose. In one case, they just say, well, God's doing it. Because God is sovereign. But we're also struck with the thing, the scripture that says in James, where God does not tempt anyone. He doesn't incite anyone. So he needs somebody to do that for him. So he says, hey, you, over there, over here. We have a theology often that puts God and the devil at the same. Now, we all know that that's not true. The enemy is a created being. He is a created being, a fallen angel. There's a piece of scripture, I believe it's in Isaiah, that says that at the end, when God cleans this whole mess up, that we will look at the enemy and say, it says, we'll look down and say, is this the man that did quake nations? We will look down at basically a man, somebody who is a created being. But in our minds, we have this, that somehow the enemy has all this authority and he can do this and he can do that. Now he does have certain jurisdiction over this planet. Unfortunately, Adam gave it to him, and that's the way it is. Jesus came back and took it away, and he's going to come back a second time and completely finish the deal. Right now, it's your and mine's job to take that back. Because Christ, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So what is the purpose of Christ on the earth? It is to come and to destroy the works of the devil, the works of the enemy. How do we do that? By standing in authority based on the blood, what Jesus has done, and say, no. We command you to go, we command you to leave, or we pray healing over the diseases that he sends, or whatever it might be. But we are here doing, finishing up what it is that Jesus was doing. It's not like Jesus has left the earth, we're still here because we are the body of Christ. And we are here to continue doing what Jesus did, which was destroying the works of the enemy. And he gave us some great examples of how it's done. And boy, do we ever need to get to it. And we're going to need to get to it more and more. But what it tells us is that God used the enemy in this situation to do something that he wanted to have done in David's life. And we have examples of it. We have Job. God allowed the enemy to come and do what he did to Job. I don't like the book of Job. I don't know about you. I don't like it. I Frankly, I don't like it. I don't like that it happened to him. I don't like that God didn't give him an answer at the end and tell him why it all happened. All God said to him is said, listen to me, boy. I am God and you're not. That's all you need to know. And he went on to explain just a few of the things that he did, that God did. But basically... God allowed the enemy to come. The enemy had to ask permission, and he has to ask permission to have effect in your life. Now, if we're inviting the enemy, that's a completely different thing. It's a different sermon. But even then, as a Christian, 
we may not even know we're doing it. And that's where, again, we have to sit and listen and ask God, what's going on in my life? Why is this happening? What is this situation all about? And God will show what the situation might be. We have Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, you know, one of the greatest theological minds that has ever lived. And God allowed a spirit from the enemy to come and afflict Paul because of Paul's great revelations. And Paul, his, Paul's summary of it was, he, he said, so that I wouldn't become conceited and proud. I think Paul was probably guessing at that point. All he got from God was he said, my grace is sufficient for you. That's all he said. He didn't give Paul any great. What Paul said afterwards was just his understanding of what it was probably all about. But, but God just said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. You'll get through this. It's okay. Don't like that one either. Don't like that one either. That's not a lot of fun. But it is encouraging to know that God's grace is enough. When you think of Peter, uh, Peter was in the garden with Jesus. And what happened? Satan came along and sifted Peter. And Jesus even made mention to it and said, Peter, the enemy has asked to have you and to sift you, but I've prayed for you, and when your faith has been restored, feed my sheep. Why did that have to happen to Peter? I don't know. Probably, let's guess, Peter, pretty presumptuous guy, pretty kind of First one out of the boat, first one to speak. He's the one who said to Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem. Why are you going to Jerusalem? And Jesus had to rebuke him because the devil was working through him. Maybe, who knows, Peter needed to be brought down to see who Peter was. And Peter was a scared guy who was running for his life. God's authority over the devil, uh, over the devil and the purposes that he has and for that entity. And that's why it's so beautiful because we can say that God will use him to achieve the good purposes that he has. A good divine purpose. So what was the divine purpose in this situation? Somewhere sin and obedience, disobedience was happening and God has to respond to it. God does have to respond to it. He'll respond to it in your life. He'll respond to it in Israel's life he'll respond to it in the world i don't want to get too crazy about it but an awful lot of stuff that's happening in the world is as a result of the world's disobedience we were called we were told in the garden when we were given this beautiful planet this little oasis in space god said go and take care of it oh we took care of it all right yeah we took care of it and what's amazing is within the last 200 years, we have brought the world to its knees through the Industrial Revolution and the, the creation of greed in, in proportions that the world has never seen before. We have brought climatic change and environmental damage to a place that it's actually destroying the earth and it's actually going to be seriously impacting our lives. God has to respond to disobedience. And he will let the effects of disobedience be what teach us if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. And, and of course, what you see, when you, even when you look at the environmental situation and the science is there, all the proof is there, everything is there, and people say, oh, no, no, that's not, that's not real. That's not true. And it's happening with the storms and everything. We have an incredible capacity to deny the truth especially when it's indicting us, especially when it's telling us something about ourselves and having to change might cost us something. You would be amazed at the excuses we will make as individuals and as a culture and a world so that we don't have to change or incur any discomfort for ourselves. And that's what's happening. But he's a just God. And so often God used the neighbors of Israel to be the tools of discipline for their wrong behavior. But in this case, he used the enemy. He used the enemy. So the enemy came and for some reason incited David to take a census. Second Samuel 
This is what the census was. So the king said to Joab and the commanders of the army, take a census of all the tribes of Israel from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, that I may know how many people are there. That's the one translation. The NIV says how many fighting men. So what's wrong with this census? What's wrong with this? Three other times in scripture, there were, uh, there were censuses taken. Doesn't seem to be a problem. One group thinks that maybe David disobeyed this law. In Exodus 30 and 12, whenever you take a census of the people of Israel, so Exodus is a very early book in the Bible, and it's where God is laying down all of the, the rules and the regulations for Israel to exist as a country, as a country. They're different than the, the things that were given to Abraham. This is, okay, you're going to be my people. You're going to be a society. Here's the way you need to live. And they, if you look at those, those made Israel very different. They weren't allowed to wear, wear certain clothes. They weren't allowed to eat certain food. They weren't allowed to do certain things. And then it was, there were 613 different laws that were all put in there. But it was just so that they would know they're different and the world would know they were different. And this is one of the things. Whenever you take a census of the people of Israel, each man who is counted must pay a ransom for himself to the Lord. Then no plague will strike the people as you count them. David didn't do that. I don't know if that's the whole reason why God got so angry at him about this census. I personally don't believe it is because there were other cases where that wasn't done. But that is very interesting that that was what needed to be done. But Job, his commander, gives us a hint. In 2 Samuel 24, 2-3, So the king said to Job and the army commanders with him, Go throughout the tribes of Dan and enroll the fighting men. And then you look, But Job replied to the king, May the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over, and may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why does my lord the king want to do such a thing? Job knew it was wrong. He knew that what David was doing was wrong, and so did the men with him. One of the commentators said this. What Job is saying is that David's mind was set in some improper way on the importance of numbers and that he was more concerned with how many fighting men he could muster than he was with trusting in the Lord's promise to make the nation great and to protect his people from their enemies. You remember that God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I am going to make it so that people cannot count your, your, uh, the people that come from you. David knew this. Job certainly knew this. But for some reason, David wanted to know how strong he was militarily. And this is the same David that said in Psalm 20, 6-7, Now I know that the Lord rescues his anointed king. He will answer him from his holy heaven and rescue him by his great power. Some nations boast of their chariots and horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord. <laughs> okay, right? You see it? And this is the same David who is now going out and doing some kind of a, a, a census around his fighting men. And God used the devil to cause this thinking in David to come up so that he could see it that his men could see it, and that God could deal with it, brought it up into the light. And maybe this is the anger that was burning in God. Maybe he knew what was in David's heart, and he said, I'm going to deal with it. He knew what was bubbling up in David, because David had had, they think this is somewhere around just before he hands things over to his son Solomon, but he'd had a lot of victories and stuff. Getting caught up in numbers, right? David wanted to know what he had instead of what God had. He got caught up in putting confidence in the numbers. And it's pretty easy for us to look back and say, oh, my heavens, David, oh, my heavens, how could you do that? Oh, you know God is so great. And look at the Psalms and look at all the things he said. And how long have we been in the Lord? But when do we look, when we look at the amount of money in our bank account, the numbers, 
if we have a lot of money in there, what do you feel? Relief, secure, feel everything's going to be okay. Bring it on. We can do this, right? What happens when you see, like, stuff in the red? You go, uh, anxiety, exactly, anxiety, fear, what's going on, Lord? Oh, my heavens, this is not good. So we get caught up in it very easily. What I can speak from when we come into a church, and I've had it happen many times where we come in, and for whatever reason, it's a Sunday that half the, the people show up. What's everyone do? I know what the pastor does. I'll tell you what the pastor does. <laughs> wants to resign. Uh, because, all, and because what happens is the pastor says, well, obviously I'm failing. Obviously they don't like me. Obviously I'm, I'm as bad as everyone tells me that I am. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And obviously, 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 if you've been the leader of anything and you've seen your followers turn into half, trust me, your heart doesn't leap with joy. I suppose it depends on the half that leaps. <laughs> I suppose th this <laughs> there have been s there have been splits with churches that have been really, really good, really good. Um, it's uh, I know of a church that uh, the church had uh, a leader. Um, Bill and I know who it is, and he got caught in some very, very bad sexual behavior. And even though the person, the persons had come forward and said, um, he denied it, and half the church believed him. And that half left. That was a good split. That was a very good split. Um, sometimes God has to do that. But nonetheless, when we come in, like last week when there were a 15 people here or something it's hard it's really hard even though you know there's circumstances that do it but what do we feel when a tough situation goes on for days and days and weeks and months it can really throw us it can really say where are you God Saul one of the the first king of Israel Samuel said to him I'm going to be back in seven days and I'm going to pray for you and they were in the middle of a war, starting into a, a combat. Well, guess what? Samuel never showed up on the seventh day. What did Saul do? He freaked out. He freaked out, as most people would probably do. I don't look back at Saul and say, oh, my heavens, Saul. I'd be freaking out, too, especially when you know the army that's against you is, is ten times bigger than you. So he goes and does a foolish thing and does a sacrifice, which he's not supposed to do because he's a king. He's not a priest. He's a king, and he wasn't allowed to do that, and he did it, and, and he lost the kingdom because of it. But whatever the reason, David took a census that he eventually confessed was wrong. In 2 Samuel 24.10, David was conscience-stricken. I don't know if you've ever had that. That is one horrible place. Oh, when you all of a sudden realize you did something wrong, you just it just is made known to you. God just goes, oh, by the way, look. And you go, oh, man, I've had hundreds of them. David was conscious stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. That judgment, God gave uh, David the opportunity to choose between three consequences. And David chose the one that was three days of, of plague and 70,000 people died um, because of David's sin. It's a horrible thing. It's a horrible, horrible thing. Um, but what's interesting about that is that the angel, if you read it in the, in the text, the angel that's bringing the plague, David looks out over what is now the, where the temple is in Jerusalem he looks out and for some reason God gives him a vision and he's able to see the angel that's bringing the plague and he's coming towards Jerusalem. And David goes to God and says, stop. He said, because this has been my sin. Why do these people have to suffer for what I have done? And long story short, 
David goes and buys some uh, cows and all the stuff that was there from a threshing floor. And that's where they used to take the, the corn and they would throw it up or whatever it was. It wasn't corn. They'd throw it up and the husk would blow away in the wind and then the heavy seed would fall. And that's the way they threshed their wheat. And he bought the whole area from the guy who owned it. And the guy wanted to give it to him for free. And he said, no, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to take it for free. I will not take something for the Lord that I have not paid for. And that land is now what is the temple area in Jerusalem. Legally, that land belonged to the Jews. David bought it some 3,500 years ago. But nonetheless, what's very interesting, he stopped the plague. They built a, an altar there and sacrificed to the Lord, and that eventually would become where Solomon would build his temple. It's amazing thing how God takes these horrible situations and does something so incredible out of them. Um, you think of David and Beersheba and that terrible thing of killing Beersheba's husband and so he could have her, and it's just crazy. But yet out of that came Solomon, one of the greatest kings of Israel, though Solomon ended in, in a very troubled way also. But when we look at David's desire to depend on something other than God, it really makes me reflect about where we are in our world right now. We are living in a time of need. I was talking to, uh, I have mentoring with a group of pastors from across the country every Wednesday, and the leader of it is Ray. Uh, he's a retired pastor from Sosaland Church. I've mentioned him many times. He's talking about his daughter. His daughter has four children, and she is so sick. She's having this bodily issue that needs surgery. She is so sick that she wasn't even able to take care of her kids. She was in the emergency three times last week trying to get help. The doctors know what needs to be done. They know the surgery, but because of COVID and because of the fact that we are now elevating COVID above everything else, that people who need life-saving surgeries are not able to get them. And he said his wife's doctor, Ray's wife's doctor, is the lead doctor over all the doctors in that part of Steinbeck. And she said to Ray's uh, wife, said the system is absolutely, completely decimated. It is not working anymore. And Ray said to us, he said, as we get more and more into a third world situation with our medical systems and with a lot of our systems, how many were in the grocery store last week when there was no, no, no uh, vegetables? In two grocery store chains, no vegetables, because the trucks, they're having a problem with drivers. One, COVID's got so many of them off, and then also they don't have enough, plus the weather. All of a sudden you go in, there's no vegetables. Well, you know, we go, okay, that's, that's fine. But what if that becomes a norm? What if those kinds of things become a norm? We have to think about the times that we're living and who we're depending on. But Ray, he said, finally, when she got sent home, he was praying and saying, what do I do? What do we do about my daughter? And God just said, get your family together and pray. So they got together and he said, every Sunday, we're going to get together as a family and we're going to pray for the medical needs and the issues that we're facing. So they do it that Sunday, which was last Sunday, was the first Sunday. Monday, they got a call from two doctors and from the Mayo Clinic. Now, either that's a coincidence or that's an answer to prayer. But Ray was saying, as we get more and more in situations that we are going to have to rely on God, we're going to have to learn how to do that. Our culture in the West for the, for the last 80 years has been going in ever-increasing measure in self-reliance, self-dependence. You can tell with the self-help books and how you can be your best self and all that stuff. Relying on governments that have given us you know, cradle to the crib, especially here in Canada, has supported us, has taken care of us. We have all these great things. Well, our need for God has really kind of become to, all it's become is just this spiritual thing that you go to on Sunday and you kind of have this spiritual experience and, and that's it. I say that we are coming into a time where God's going to be a lot more than that. 
It's going to be a lot more than coming in and just sitting and having God. Uh, I don't say this in any derogatory way or any kind of, you know, but just to tickle us and know that God's with us and have a little spiritual time and then go about our business. I think God's going to become much more a 24-7 reality in our lives. Um, and it's going to be hard turning that train around because we're so used to having what we want. We're so used to going to doctors and going to institutions of education or whatever, the justice system or whatever it is, and starting to, to just trust them to take care of things. And we're watching the government fail miserably. COVID is a complete failure by our systems. We thought it was going to be done in two weeks. Remember that? Going to flatten the curve in two weeks. Okay, and then we'll hit the beach. Well, that never happened. And, and then the next thing, oh, we're going to get the vaccine, and then we're going to hit the beach. <laughs> and here we are, of the 60-some-odd people who were in the hospital this week, I looked at the CBC stuff, I think it was like 18 of them were double-vaxxed and, and uh, boosted. So, not, and that does not say, do not say this. Do not say this, that the vaccine doesn't work. I know that's, that's what the anti-vaxxers are going with. See, I told you it didn't work. It doesn't, no, it is working because another friend of mine who is double-vaxxed had it very bad. She said, thank God for the vaccine because it would have been much worse. But the point is, it's making a fool out of us all. It really is. And because I remember saying when it first hit and the vaccines, they're talking about vaccines, and it came out of my mouth, I said it here before, whatever God is going to do with COVID, a vaccine's not going to stop them. It's not going to stop them. The point that God wants to bring to us through COVID, and I don't profess to know what it is, all I know is it's making us go, hello, God, we need you. And that can't be a bad thing. That cannot be a bad thing. But as we have to make this shift in this Western mindset. I was talking to Monica the other day. We were sitting there talking, and she was talking about Africa. She said, there are no food banks in Africa. There is no social assistance in Africa. You don't sit around smoking cigarettes and wait for the food bank to open, which I've seen hundreds and hundreds of times. I've seen people come up in a taxi to the food bank. I mean, we live in a very, very incredible place but those things are changing they're changing and i don't know where it's going to go and i don't know how it's going to go but this much i do know it ain't going to get better and if we think we're going to gallop back and head to the beach th those times are gone i don't want to be pessimistic i don't want to rain on anyone's parade but I believe that as David, you know, made that mistake of putting his confidence in something other than God caused a pretty big problem for him. And we as people, as we're starting into the slippery slope of wherever COVID is taking us, and remember, I was standing right there in November of 2019, and God showed me the picture of the mallet. I told you a thousand times. The guy hitting the, the tree with the mallet and the, ma and the tree shaking and me walking around saying, God, what does this mean? And finally, a very clear, clear statement. This is the first of a series of global shakings to come upon the earth. And we had no idea what that was. It was nothing had even started by that point. By March, we knew what he was talking about. By March, the world was in the complete grips of COVID. But he said something, this is the first of a series. I don't know what's coming, but God does. And we just better make sure that our, our reliance is on God. It is on his promises to us, his power, his authority. We'll do what we can. We'll take the vaccines. We'll do whatever the government said. We'll do those things. But we're going to trust in the end that God is the one who's going to make a way. And hopefully the world, as things turn i mean there are people dying because they cannot have <coughs> surgery because in our in our headlong covid 
crazy thing that we've gotten into. I'm not saying that it's crazy. I'm just saying we've gotten into a level of concern and, and kind of, ooh, about COVID, that people are dying because they can't get surgeries because COVID is clogging everything up. It's a crazy time. But we trust, we trust God, you know, we trust God. And, you know, I don't know who was telling me this week um, about somebody, the two instances where somebody had a need and God absolutely, they were, all, they were supposed to go, that's right, it was a couple months ago, they were supposed to get a, a, some scope work done. And they said, what was it, March, April? March, April. And all of a sudden, they get a phone call and they're in in two weeks. The favor of God. We do have the favor of God. Talking to someone else who was looking for housing and talked to the housing people and they said, well, unfortunately, we have to put you at the end of the, the list that's this long for housing. And she started to talk to the person and one thing led to another and the person just felt to do this. She said, you know what? I like you, and why don't, don't tell anyone at housing because they'll probably lose their job, but said, you know, I, I like your situation. I know where you're at. I'm going to put you as if you had never been at the end, but where you would have been when you applied two years ago, and she's up to the seventh place. That's the favor of God. And people say it's not fair. Well, um, Take it up with God. <laughs> Take it up with God. But we should be expecting God's favor. Also, we should be expecting that it rains on the just and the unjust. But in that rain, we should pray God gives us an umbrella. In those struggles, we pray that God gives us a way. When there seems to be no way, God can make a way. That is the favor of God. And that's not me just trying to paint a nice picture of God. This is the picture he painted of himself, that he is a loving, caring father, that he would make a way and that he would take care of us. This is, this is the God we serve. And whether we understand it or not, we are blessed and loved by God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're saying to us today. We thank you, Father God, that we can trust in you. Help us to do it more and more. Help us to be able to understand, to hear, to comprehend you. We thank you, Father, in these times that we live. Let us depend on you. Let us be a light for those who are suffering in these times with anxiety and worry. And allow, Father God, us to be a hope and a guide towards you for those who don't know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Heather, you want to come up? As, as, you, started talking, mm -hmm. as you started talking, you, you stressed that God sees us. Yeah. He sees each human being, each person. He loves each human being. And this week I read for the first time that I ever remember reading Psalm 33, um, verse 13. From heaven. <laughs> Just pull the mic out. Just pull it out. Pull it towards you. Yeah. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms, he forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. Mm. Each person yeah. is precious to him. He sees each mm. person. Yeah, and I love that it's their heart when they consider what they do, yeah. which means yeah. you are reflecting on your heart. You're reflecting on what's going on in yeah. there. Yeah. 